Giving DNA test kits as gifts for the holidays? Before hitting that buy now button, you might want to hear this episode because you could be opening a huge can of worms. Adam Wolf from Pfeiffer Wolf is here to explain. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. Hope you're having a great day out there wherever you might be this holiday season. We've got a really interesting show today about fertility fraud. And in fact, a fraud that went on all over the country for many decades. And it's now being detected on this very large scale because many people are out there taking these home DNA tests to track their ancestry and learn a little bit more about their genes for health purposes. So there's a potentially a really big mess coming up. And to help walk us through all of that, we have this great guest, Adam Wolf from the law firm of Pfeiffer Wolfie joins us now. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've got to give you some compliments for your press release. You know, we get a bunch of those sent to us on a daily basis and we sift through them, but yours got my attention right away. So, you know, really good subject tag. And I loved how you brought in this, this HBO documentary, always a good way to hook us, you know? And so uh, you referred, of course, to this Baby God documentary. And so I guess this is a really big, notorious case of fertility fraud. I did watch the documentary. I was absolutely blown away. So listeners out there, if you're watching this, probably not kid appropriate if you watch it with family. Also, not necessarily the most uplifting tales. You may want to have a beer or something while you watch it. But uh, anyway, it uh, definitely highlighted this very big fraud that went on in Nevada with uh, Dr. Quincy Fortier. And so I want to hand that over to you, Adam. Could you tell us the story behind that documentary? Sure. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your shining a light on this issue. This is something that is affecting people around the country, something that happened sometimes decades ago, but they're finding out about only now. In the documentary you mentioned, Baby God, it chronicles the story of a doctor who was a fertility doctor who was performing inseminations for his clients. Like lots of people, his clients were coming to him saying, we're having trouble conceiving the old-fashioned way and we need a little bit of help here. And so he said, no problem. I will be able to use sperm that I get. Sometimes it is the then-husband sperm. Sometimes he said he would use other people's sperm. But what he didn't say is that he was going to use his own sperm. So fast forward some decades later, when people are using at-home DNA tests, and they receive a very unwelcome surprise, which is that the person, the sperm that was used, I should say, turns out to be the fertility doctor's own sperm. This is something that we see in lots of cases at my firm. We've represented approximately 20 people who took an at-home DNA test, usually received around the holiday period, they find out that the sperm donor was their mom's fertility doctor. It's horrific. Let's take a step back here. The doctor in this case, in these cases, typically says, yeah, sure, we will get you sperm. Usually it can have characteristics of your husband or your partner. You know, they can screen for religion, ethnicity, heights profession. But as it turns out, the doctor used his own sperm in his patients without their consent. Yeah, I think one of the big things that really just blew me away was, uh, you know, these were definitely the early days. And so I guess at the time, a lot of doctors would donate their sperm when they were going through medical school. And that was like some of the, uh, I guess that was some of the samples that they would use. But what blew me away was just the the age ranges. So now all of a sudden, these people, as you were mentioning, you know, they're doing these DNA home tests and they find out they have like 
dozens of siblings. They range, uh, you know, in their age of 30s to their 70s. And so it was just amazing how long this went on for. And so trying to figure out whether or not someone's been a victim of this fertility fraud, I understand that there was an age grouping here, or at least an era when this was pretty big, these artificial inseminations. So what's that troubling period that uh, people should be looking for? Sure. Almost all of our clients were conceived between 1978 and 1990. Why those periods? Because in 1978, we're starting to see an uptick in cases of insemination. The procedure itself started to become more readily available. In 1990, doctors could see that at-home DNA tests, or at least accessibility of DNA tests, was on the horizon. So between 1978 and 1990, doctors thought that they could get away with this, that they could use their own sperm with impunity. Wow. Wow. So if you know that your uh, mother and father went to a fertility clinic and you want to look into this, you probably should get one of those DNA test kits. But once you get the results, what should you be looking for? Sure. I mean, there are various things that you can look for. One is, you know, sometimes you can actually see that the doctor himself has gone on to your DNA test company. So for instance, if you go to 23andMe or Ancestry.com, it will give you a family tree, at least of people who have submitted results to that company. And we have had cases where people have looked at the results and say, huh, my father is Dr. X, right? Or it could be that you find you have you know, dozens of half-siblings or maybe even just a couple and you can trace those back to the doctor as well. Okay, so that's not just an anomaly. You know, people are seeing this on these uh, DNA home testing kits. And I, I know that sometimes there can be some anomalies on there, and sometimes you resubmit a result. But if you start to see something like that, you should really look into it. It's not just an anomaly for no reason, correct? That's exactly right. And I'll say we have been approached by approximately 20, 22 people who say that they were concerned finding out that the donor, the sperm donor, was their mom's fertility doctor. In every single case that somebody has called us, it has turned out they were correct. And the sperm donor was, in fact, the fertility doctor. Right. Just in terms of next steps, so you find out that you've been a victim of fertility fraud. You know, what type of options for remedy do you have? I know it's not the same state to state. Sure. So there are a few things that people can do. Usually when people call up my firm or me, you know, we walk them through and say, okay, we can send a letter to the doctor. We can think about researching and filing a civil lawsuit. You can complain to the medical board, right? I mean, there might not be a regulation that says doctors may not use their own sperm without their patient's consent because you don't typically have regulations that are that specific. But certainly this is an unlawful, deceptive unethical practice by doctors, and state licensing boards can take that quite seriously. You can report the doctor, let's say, to the prosecutor's office if you are thinking about criminal charges. One thing that lots of our clients have been interested in doing is seeking a little bit of public scrutiny of the doctor, speaking with journalists, speaking with the media, so that when the doctor goes to his temple or his church or out to lunch, the people who congregate with that doctor know that he is the type of person who would commit this misconduct. I have a philosophical question for you. And so obviously you represent these clients that have these types of issues that come up. You know, just as a philosophical question, you know, do your clients grapple with the notion of being considered a victim of fraud? But you know, without that fraud, they wouldn't be born today. Do they have a hard time grappling with that? Sure. It's an incredibly troubling thing 
for somebody to find out that you were the victim of your mother being violated. It's incredibly hard to fathom that. And then to know when you look in the mirror every day that you see the person who violated your mom. It's been incredibly challenging for our clients who are both the mothers and the children to come to grips with this, right? Because this is not something that you knew about, you know, some months ago or a year ago, and you were still the same person then, right? So what has changed? What has changed is that you know that you are part of this deceitful, terribly troubling story. Well, in terms of states that do have laws against this, you know, can you tell us about the laws that are actually broken when fertility fraud occurs? I know that there's some of these are civil, some of these are criminal, but can you tell us a little bit about those? Sure. There have been a couple of states that rather recently have enacted laws or regulations that prohibit this very specific fertility fraud misconduct. For instance, Indiana now, I believe, has a regulation, as does Texas. Those two states enacted regulations as a result of people being public within those states of fertility fraud having occurred. In most states, you know, there are more general criminal and civil remedies that might be out there. For instance, you know, in, in New York, there isn't any regulation that says that a doctor shall not use his own sperm in his client without consent, but there are legal remedies there. So there could be a lawsuit that alleges fraud or fraudulent concealment or, for instance, battery, right? Battery is the unauthorized touching of somebody. And here, the patients never authorized the doctors to use their, insert their own sperm into their patients. We're kind of getting into it a little bit just in terms of some of these battery claims. But, uh, you know, given that some of these uh, offenses are multi-decades old, you know, what happens then? Are, I guess, plaintiffs out of luck at that point? You know, there was no statute that existed on the books back in those days. Maybe some of these offenses are so old that it uh, goes beyond the statute of limitations. It's a really good question. In most states, you have something called the discovery rule, which is to say that, you know, the time period for bringing your claim starts at the point that you discovered or reasonably should have discovered the basis for your claim. And what we have argued, and you know, successfully thus far, is that people were on notice of this misconduct only once they received back the results from their at-home DNA tests. That's what started the clock. For the years and decades since the act occurred, the doctors actually purposefully did not tell their patients and actively concealed what they had done. All right, some parting words. You know, if somebody gets one of these, you know, shocking DNA home test results and it uh, ruins their holiday, you know, besides calling a qualified attorney such as yourself, you know, what words of wisdom can you offer to comfort them during the holiday season? Well, it is a very unwelcome surprise, as I said before, when people receive these results. My office gets calls about this more in January or February than the rest of the year combined. You know, I mean, I think what I tell our clients, at least, is that they are still the same person they were before they knew this result. Their mother, their father, or the people they thought of their mother and their father are still the same people. Those relationships haven't changed. What has changed is that you know that your doctor has wronged you, you know, that the doctor engaged in misconduct. So we can still celebrate our lives and our relationships, but there might be a legal remedy there and people need to think about what steps they want to take. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. I think a really great conversation. I know a lot of people out there that might be getting some shocking news will definitely get a lot out of that. Thank you so much. A happy holiday to everybody. 
And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please subscribe directly to the show in your favorite podcasting app. It's free and no questions asked. And also a big thank you to our team, producer Molly McDonough and our LTN production crew for all of their hard work. Thank you so much. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. Oh, <laughs>